Friends, let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark. I don't know um, if, if um, Janice brought this up, but one of the things that we are doing in this month is we have a month where the lectionary focuses on the book of James. And so that's the reason why you see the Gospel reading first and then the book of James second. It's also the reason why we do first and second reading. It's not to say that the gospel is all of a sudden less valuable today. It's just not the one that we're going to anchor the sermon on. So here now from the gospel of Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, and take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? For those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. And our second reading today comes from the book of James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes, and anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, Yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of the things that I had the real joy and honor to do this week is I had a chance to um, lead the service uh, of Celebration of Life for Freddie Freeland, who had passed away a couple weeks ago. Uh, now, and I've said this, one of the hardest times, and I actually marked today, this is a fun trivia fact, um, this Sunday is officially the Sunday that I have been a pastor in a pandemic, longer than I've been a pastor outside of a pandemic. Um, I think for a you know anniversary gift to myself is just sadness and desolation, but we'll make it through. And I'd said, you know, one of the hardest parts about being a pastor in a pandemic, and especially starting at a new church, a new call in the middle of the pandemic, is there's things that I would be doing that would allow me to get to know people more readily. But because of the fact that we don't always know if we'll be able to be in hospitals, we don't always know if it's safe for me to go in with somebody and, and to be at their house, you're constantly playing this game of risk. And so what I've tried to encourage all of you is to think about this time more as a really long, soft opening for a few months as we continue to get to know each other. But the downside of that is there's some beautiful people that I might not have the opportunity to get to know as well as I'd like. And certainly, Freddie seemed to be one of those folks. But I had a chance to sit with Skeety early in the week and we talked a little bit about her and Freddie's relationship. I got to hear more about uh, Freddie through Skeety. And Skeety said to me, right at the beginning, when we sat down and we talked, she said, now I just want you to be prepared for a bunch of Freddie stories. Now, that's a really interesting thing for somebody as you're trying to plan a funeral, that that's the first thing out of somebody's mouth. So I just want you to be prepared for Freddie stories. And as those of you who were there, you know, there were a lot of Freddie stories. And what was so fascinating to me is that there was so much joy and laughter at that service. We were all gathered around tables, and there were donuts, and there was ski-made homemade kibbe, and there was all sorts of delicious Mediterranean food. Uh, it was less the sort of funeral dirge and more of a second-line celebration as much as you can muster, not in New Orleans, but in, in Jacksonville, Florida. And as the stories continued, as they grew, and as they kept going, and they kept going, what you got to see is Freddie back to life. You got to see Freddie Friedland alive. These stories brought him back to life, and by the end of the funeral, I felt like I had gotten to know somebody for the first time really, really well. And that's the power of stories that we tell. They can bring people to life. Anytime you tell a story of your childhood, anytime you tell a story about somebody that you love, in some ways, that child, that person, that friend, that family member that is lost to us here is brought back to life. What a power we have. All of us. power to overcome death and story, the power to persuade, the power to change, the power to create through the words that we use. One of my favorite philosophers will talk about this idea that between the words that we speak and the words we hear, reality itself is formed. That something in between what you're hearing right now and what I'm speaking somewhere out in this magical middle, reality is being created. 
pastorate, that's where I'd like to think the Holy Spirit finds its way in our services, somewhere between the speaking and the listening. So yeah, this is big stuff. The words you say, the words I'd say, they carry a lot of power. And we've heard, heard this James story. You know, this James passage comes up regularly, and you know, usually for every good new pastor, there's usually at some point having to go through the very first Bible study one often teaches fresh out of seminary is one on the book of James, because it's a classic got a few chapters, talks about Christian living. You've probably heard this multiple times about the tongue being this unbridled fire that it could destroy. And this would be really easy to spend most of the time kind of wrist slapping and saying, yeah, y'all ought to watch your language. Y'all ought to not act like you're being such a teacher because you're going to be judged more. But there might be a different angle on it, I think especially in conversation with our Mark passage today. Because Jesus is trying to remind the disciples that there is something deeply important about the story that they're telling as well. Our passage in Mark invites us to think about the consequences of story. People apparently have been talking about Jesus, and for goodness sakes, if you read the first few chapters of Mark, you can understand why. The dude's doing some crazy things. People are being healed, people are being fed, things are happening. You wouldn't be surprised if you were a neighbor in there and you started to see these things happening, there would be some rumblings about, who is this guy? Jesus asked the disciples, who do you hear about? People saying that, and they said, well, you know, people have said, you are John the Baptist, come back to life. Some people say you are Elijah, or you're some other prophet. You know, they start listing all of these big deal names. They're mere humans. Important as though they may be. Jesus reminds him, oh, wait a second. Who do you say that I am? Who do you tell the story? How, when you tell the story about me, who do you say that I am? And of course, the... Uh, the disciple says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Now, that's not just some random word. That is a story <coughs> that brings Jesus to life. Because, you see, it's not just a prophet. It's not just somebody who was baptizing out in the wilderness. No, this is the person. If Peter is right, and if the disciples believe this, and if this is all true, then the Messiah is the one who came to save. Jesus is not mere prophet or mere baptizer. No, this is the person who was going to completely liberate all of the people. It feels like a different story than the one that's like, well, yeah, you know, Elijah did some good things, really stuck it to, you know, the, the prophets of Baal, really caused some problems, but at the end of the day, was so scared, he ran away. It's different. Train agrees. 
It's not enough just to have been the Messiah. It's not just enough to have been the person to say. He doubles down on this story, and he says, you know what? If this is true, then some serious things are going to happen. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So not only are we talking about this Messiah, this Savior, this Christ, but the story is that there will be much suffering, but yet there will be resurrection. Could you imagine if you were walking beside Jesus and that was the story you were told? Not the, listen, we're going we're gonna to stick it to the Romans. We're going we're gonna to fight the power. Well, that's great. No. I'm going to go some places that most folks don't want to go. And I'm going to end up dying. But after a couple days, I'm coming back. It's quite the story. Quite the savior to follow. But of course, that would make me feel uncomfortable if I was following Jesus at that point. I might be like, well, you know, that's not what I signed up for. I was cool with like the whole healing thing, but now you're talking about tough things happening too? That's not the story I want to bring to life, Jesus. So it makes sense that Peter says, you know, listen, man, what you're saying here, not good for the marketing, Jesus. Not going to get a lot of returns on this. And Jesus basically tells in the Greek, Jesus tells Peter to shut up. This isn't like a kind, gentle rebuke, like, oh, sweet Peter. Peter, shut up. Get by. You don't know what you're talking about. Set your mind on a bigger story than the one that you want to tell that is so milquetoast and simple and limited. If we continue to play this out, right, and we say that we didn't do this big story, we didn't do this big change, if what happened didn't happen or couldn't have happened or anything like that, well, what's it worth following? I mean, surely Elijah had some followers, but we don't hear about the church of Elijah. We don't hear about the world being changed on account of Elijah. Sure, we know about John the Baptist, but that story sort of dies with a beheading. It's kind of the end of it. John has a part in the bigger story, but it's awful limited. If Jesus was just limited to a simple story of a simple time that said, well, don't do bad things and do good things, and left it at that, well, that would sound good, but boy, that doesn't... Uh, engender a lot of excitement. The story that we bring to life about Jesus Christ seems awful shallow then. And this is why I think when we point our eyes back to the book of James, we can understand why this tongue, this simple tongue, causes so much havoc. When we speak, and the stories we tell, they have significant consequence and bring so much to life. Imagine, if you will, for a moment that we talked about a Jesus that would come to the earth and save, but then the story we tell about each other is say, well, we only let certain people through that door. 
if they don't look like us and they don't have a similar lifestyle to us or they don't think the same things we do, well, then maybe this Jesus that we are creating is not for you. Maybe we like to tell the story about a Jesus that is willing to care for the poor and the marginalized and those who are outcast when we feel like we're the outcast, but then ask the question of the others who are outcast, and then maybe now that, that Jesus isn't for you. And if we keep playing that out, there might be somebody who's sitting, I don't know, four or five blocks away, that wants to hear the story of the Jesus who dies and is resurrected, who is changing the world, who is lifting up the laws of physics. Maybe somebody wants to hear that voice. And if we tell a story that isn't true, that creates a milk-toast Jesus or a, a exclusive Jesus or know, an empty Jesus? Or dare we create a Jesus after our own images? Well, that might be the Jesus that somebody finally decides they're done with. And listen, of course, we, we make our mistakes. I think James is inviting us to say, you know what, like, we all run our mouths a little bit more than we should. We all make mistakes. We all say things we shouldn't. But it's good to be aware of the consequences, that they're not just, well, I, I do the uh, literal cigarette butt of a comment and I toss it out the side of the road and now it's no longer just a simple flame, but it's a forest fire working through the land. That's the power that our stories have. That's the power of what we say and the consequences of what we say. And in light of that, in light of what we say has dire consequences, perhaps if we're worried we'll make a mistake, the best thing to do is just to double check every once in a while. Just to dig a little deeper. Try to tell the story just a little bit. Even our own stories right now as a church is, again, we're in, our, we're in our summer cottage of a church. We're enjoying the luxurious, somewhat rustic life over here at Preservation Hall. Doubtless many of you have seen the progress that has been made over at our campus. It's looking a little less than it was just two or three weeks ago. The story that we tell, dear friends, is one that we could talk about death or we could talk about resurrection. We could talk about 40 years of decline that have amounted to themselves to rubble on the side of Hendricks and Alford, or we could talk about new life coming from these broken pieces of concrete and brick. And can you imagine if you are somebody in this neighborhood and you hear a story of death and decline? 
Is that the Jesus you want to be a part of? Is that the church you want to be a part of? I mean, if you're a grim reaper, I guess. What about the story that says, you know what? We heard that this Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The one who came to save. And yes, there are tough times that we all as beloved children of God have to walk through, but there is resurrection on the other side. Friends, do you know that right over there, a couple blocks away, is the best example of resurrection we could show? As we continue to walk through this time, which is going to be weird, I invite you to think about the story that you tell, the story that we tell. And who might be hearing about Jesus in that moment? How are we as a church representing the risen Savior, even in the demolition and rebuilding that we are undertaking today? I'd like to think the end of all of this, there's a moment that we can see, Easter moments, and Easter come alive on our little corners every single day. Thanks be to God.